Hello and welcome to another thrilling episode of Scotland's Choice Podcast with me, Brendan O'Hara, MP. And me, Drew Hendry, MP. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a range of stories. We've got, uh, we're covering again the Illegal Immigration Act because it's just so horrendous and more goes on with that. So we'll be talking about that with our guest today. Harry Black. Ah, uh, superb. What a, what a debut at Prime Minister's Questions with her uh, slaughtering. I think we have to say of Dominic Raab. I think he was well and truly done over by her uh, there today in that sport. So we'll be talking about that as well. We have a new leader in the SNP. Indeed we do. And adds to the, the youth and diversity, which is running through the party at the moment, which is always good. And there are some pretty horrendous things sitting there waiting to hug Scotland on the finance bill. So we'll be talking, talking about that as well. Indeed, well, particularly the whiskey duty when it comes to my own constituency, Valgail and Butte, which was going to be feel this one pretty hard, I think. But uh, first of all, you, you've been on a bit of an egg hunt this morning. Oh, I'm glad you phrased it like that. <laughs> um, yes, oh well, apparently, I didn't realise this, but every year somebody delivers a box of cream eggs to the MP's tea room, and uh, I've only been here eight years, and I managed to get one this year. Yeah. It's delicious. It's a nice. We're all always flagging Westminster off with very, very good reason, I've got to say, but uh, it's, it's quite nice that somebody's going to do that. So. It wasn't the only nice thing that happened in the last 24 hours, though. No, true. We were, we, were, uh, we were in the voting lobbies for most of it last uh, night, but... As a chief whip, I wish to apologise to my <laughs> colleagues for keeping them in the voting lobbies while we at Hamden recorded a magnificent victory over Spain. Well, what, well done. What a start for Hamza that was. Well, I put it all down to him. <laughs> I'm sure he does as well. <laughs> so, anyway, let's meet our guest. Today we are joined by... Angela Crawley, the MP for Lanark and Hamilton East. And... Stuart McDonald, MP for Cumbernauld, Coalsyth and Kirkintilloch East and definitely not to Glasgow South. <laughs> <laughs> and you say that because we do actually have two Stuart McDonalds, don't we, in the... In, in the comments here. And how do we differentiate between them? <laughs> Good uh, should, we tell, should we tell our listeners? I think we should. I think <laughs> well, I think it's only fair. There's no need to, to compare and contrast, but we are joined today by the man who is known and loved by all <laughs> as good Stuart. <laughs> For some reason, I and, and, and it's uh, yeah, and he, and he is good Stuart, and he's been doing a lot of good work uh, this week. I've been um, listening to his contributions on chamber in chamber on the illegal immigration bill. I, I I've said this on the last po- podcast. I like to call it the illegal illegal immigration. Uh, bill that's going through Parliament just now. Stuart, you've, you've been pretty worked up about this with good reason. Yeah, I think a lot of us have been very worked up about it, Drew, because, as you say, for a start, it is completely illegal, rights roughshod over various international treaties that this country is supposed to be adhering to. But most fundamentally, it just treats people uh, absolutely abysmally. It basically means asylum seekers, victims of torture, uh, victims of trafficking, uh, rather than having their cases considered, they're just going to be locked up and then removed as fast as the government can manage to rewind that without any consideration of the circumstances at all. So it is really scraping the bottom of the barrel and pretty vile stuff. And Angela, what are your thoughts about this, all of this going on just now? I mean, this is against the background of some pretty horrendous, uh, you know, discourse over uh, over asylum seeking. And, you know, these are these are not people who are coming here, uh, you know, to, to do anything other than uh, escape, in most cases, 
the, the situations that, the, that none of us would like to find ourselves in. Yeah, I think if we're completely honest, it's dog whistle politics, isn't it? It's, it's plain to the kind of Daily Mail far right, this idea that there's a sense of otherness and something that we can all unite against, that refugees are the problem, that people coming here illegally is the problem, instead of tackling the root of the actual problem, which is traffickers and people who come here, or who make a profit from people coming here illegally. And let's be honest, if we had a better migration system where people could access visas and could come here legally, then there would be absolutely no reason to bring forward such an important bill in the first place. Yeah. But the government isn't getting to the root of the problem and isn't respecting the fact that people do want to come here to contribute, especially to our country of mm. Scotland, where we more than need people to, to contribute to their economy and the message is hostile and that's obviously the intention. What, what I found interesting this week in particular was that this was the committee. This was where it was meant to be line by line scrutiny and for folk who don't know how Westminster works, you have the second reading and the second reading of a, a bill is that's it tub thumping rhetoric big picture you know that's where you get your social media clips from all that sort of nonsense the committee stage is where you go through it line by line and you tease out the government's thinking and you expose the faults or you can probe to find out that they have done their homework and be satisfied that they have that didn't happen this time the whole of the the two days of committee were essentially like a second reading speech where the government just piled in with rhetoric and, as you said, Angela, thrown red meat to the basin. For someone as assiduous as yourself, Stuart, you know, you must have wanted to get that forensic examination and it just didn't happen. Yeah, it was hugely frustrating, Brendan. It was a pantomime, really. Mm. Uh, and you saw, obviously, Alison losing her temper a little bit <laughs> last night, Joanna as well. And then on the first night, I lost my temper, which is take quite a lot. And heard of, the, that, hence the good sure. I mean, it's, yeah. it's unknown for that. But as you say, this is supposed yeah. to be the, the, the forensic bit where you go through cause by cause. And we had something like 140 amendments down. And in, in a normal committee, you would go through every single worm. But we basically got two sentences and a crap joke from uh, the minister in response to ours. And we don't just make them up for the sake of it. You know, we've been working hard with NGOs, with organisations like Amnesty International or ILPA and other um, you know, top immigration lawyers to try and really challenge this bill. Um, but no, it was a complete waste of time, frankly. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, the government just set it up for more politicking and it's a huge, huge frustration. Yeah. Well, and, and Angela, you, today we had a statement from the UK government. Uh, I know I know you, you were talking about this before we, we, we started the recording about the... Uh, the fact that the you know the idea of housing people in substandard accommodation uh, is some kind of deterrent. It's just a nonsense, isn't it? it is. It's wholly absurd, and we've seen really. Well, f first of all, just explain examples. what the proposals are. Sure. Um, so I think we've seen more recently the government's use of hotels in the first instance and barracks and kind of empty ex-military bases which were considered not suitable for the military to use anymore but were considered entirely suitable for asylum seekers and refugees and now the latest headline is that the government is going to use military bases again which obviously have been decommissioned because they weren't fit for purpose and another option they are now considering is offshoring and not quite as far as Rwanda in this case but offshore to old oil rigs now when you consider the, the reality of that is that for 
any worker who works offshore, they'll be helicoptered across to their base. There's obviously an economic benefit there to having people working offshore. There is absolutely no economic ben benefit or rationale to paying potentially millions of pounds to put people on an oil rig. I can't think of anything like less hospitable, but also just it doesn't solve the problem. Just mean, nasty and expensive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, and speaking of mean, nasty, and expensive, <laughs> what a segue. segue in. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the weekends, newspapers, or certainly the Sundays, were absolutely dominated by the fact that ex-government ministers were caught once again trying to feather their own nest. People who are already extremely... Some, with some pretty big feathers. Pretty, well. pretty big, aye, ostrich feathers. <laughs> or, 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 pterodactyl feathers. <laughs> but, you know, but they were, and, and you know, people who are already extremely well paid, quoting eye-watering sums of money to essentially act as a lobbyist for, uh, in this case, a, a fake Korean company. And the amount of money that these people were asking per hour. And I think Mary, who I, she was superb in her first outing at PMQs today, as she always does, she really she got to the nub of this. But she said, you know, that they're £1,500 an hour demand and you compare that to a nurse on £15 an hour and who does a Deputy Prime Minister think gives better value to the public? No, absolutely right. It was pitch perfect and actually you know, what I think is probably most alarming about all this is it's not really that surprising. That seems to be just <laughs> the culture in yes. the Conservative Party in particular that sort of stuff goes on. People, I don't know how the hell they have enough hours in the day to fit anything else in apart from, from being an MP. Um, but then to be touting uh, uh, business and talking about field, former chancellors and health secretaries thinking they're worth uh, these extraordinary sums of money. It's an amazing brass neck, an amazing lack of judgment and just morally outrageous apart from anything else. But it's the impunity mm -hmm. exactly. in which they believe they, they, they can operate. Yeah. You know, that this is maybe 10, 15 years ago, this was a resignation issue. Now it's, you know, 48 hours of mild embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to get Angela's take on this. I mean, my view is that by the Tory party feeling to condemn this, they're condoning it. And it, it makes the point that uh, this just seems to be part of the career of a of a Tory MP. And, you know, it, Dominic Rabb tried to bat it back to the Labour Party today. He he did have a point, but it, it certainly wasn't answering Mary's question. What about today? Yeah, I think I think Mary was absolutely right to go on it. And I think that, you know, the mainstream might have missed the message here, but led by donkeys, investigative journalists exposing conservative politicians, sitting politicians who have responsibilities to the constituents in the first instance, many of whom have held or still hold cabinet positions, so have responsibilities within government, and they're sitting there trying to carve up a job for themselves at the end of the day. What it says is two things. It says, first of all, they know they're on their way out, which is tragic because they're too busy lining themselves up mm -hmm. for a wee um, job in the behind the scenes, and two, that they think it's okay and that is the message, isn't it? It's that the day job, which is a really important job, one that we Indeed. in the SNP at least take mm. very seriously, there's no respect for the job. There's no respect for the office. It's just how much can they get out of it? And I think Stuart was right. It reminds me back of the kind of end of the Labour government when we had the sleaze and the scandal and all of this 
the sheer hypocrisy of the Conservative Party who have now been in government, I think we can all agree, for far mm -hmm. too long. And they're now at the end of the road and are sitting there thinking, how can we line our pockets? And sadly, I think the public are not surprised. And that's the thing that breaks my heart. I, the I fact that the public now yeah. just accept I, I, that I, this is what we, as a collective of that, politicians, are. I, I think that's uh, perfect. And that, that is that. We have become yeah. so used to it, we've become immune to it. Yeah. And, and this follows on, don't forget, from revelations. We were talking last week about the fact that two former prime ministers, failed prime ministers who have done, are just about to create lords of knights and uh, things like that, you know, in their, in their honours list. This, it's just it bubbling up again. It would be a really kind of... Uh, yeah. On that, yeah. the, the other big scandal that no one really talks about as well is, you know, Liz Truss's speaking engagements for a prime minister that was barely in office like ma a matter of was days. Was it 47 days or something? Yeah, and she's out touting herself about for speaking engagements and then you look at the price that Boris Johnson is charging for speaking engagements and his recent tax I returns. I mean, I've taken money not to as well, but like, it speaks volumes that you have these conservative politicians touting themselves about and it is that whole axis of power thing. They're earning a dime on this notion of, well, I can get you access to Boris Johnson, I can get you access to government. And it is tragic that people are not more outraged. People should rightly be outraged. Mm, they should yes. be angry that politicians and, are disrespecting them when they've entrusted them with this responsibility. Indeed, and these people are making decisions uh, on a daily basis for the people of Scotland because they've got the power to do so. We've got the finance bill uh, through just now. Now, we're putting a, an amendment to the finance bill um, to, to highlight some of the things that it's uh, the, the problems it's going to be created for people in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, the, the finance bill is coming off the back of the budget. So, this is where there is that scrutiny of the, the government's budget. And Stuart Jose is leaving prison. He is on his feet, I think. He's in on his feet. As we record this, as we record uh, this episode of uh, yeah. the Westminster so Roundup. So, while you're watching this, don't go too much on your theory. <laughs> Stuart's not on it right now. As we are recording this, Stuart is, is, is speaking in the, the uh, finance bill debate. And, and he's quite right because he's going to, you know, point out that th this bill or, or this budget does absolutely nothing to address the fallen living standards that mm -hmm. everyone has experienced in the last few years and sadly by the whole every, any measure you wish to take are going to continue it for a number of years to come feeling productivity and, and a lot of that is fed into the lack of uh, a good supply of labour caused entirely by Brexit exactly so yeah yeah, I, I mean, the, the budget was just quite extraordinary. You would not have thought that we were living in uh, the, the middle of the, the, the great economic crisis of our, our lives, um, withdrawing important financial support just as people are really struggling. Another thing that I remember from that budget compared to others is I think he got to the second last sentence of his speech before he actually mentioned public services and public sector pay. Mm -hmm. And uh, our public services are struggling because of years of Tory austerity uh, and public sector workers are suffering more than almost anybody because of uh, the pay restraint that the Tories imposed on them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, extraordinary behold and... Um, you know, uh, the sooner that centre budgets without any reference to Westminster, the better. You're in a, a, a 
Brendan, you're, you're in a constituency like myself. It has a lot of uh, whiskey distilleries. Very important export for Scotland. Yeah, I think it's important to point out now that Earl's are far, far better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we might have to take this outside. Um, oh, listeners. I love the fact that a good steward has come up with a, fa- a cracking... Uh, so uh, I'm taking part. I will join in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but but anyway, but, yeah, but, I, mean, yeah. I think on, yeah. on the point of, of whiskey duty is one of the big areas mm. that we are uh, pursuing the stalwart on this budget because, you know, the, the hike in whiskey duty mm. is incredible. I mean, it's a 10.1% hike Shocking. in, in alcohol yeah. duty, not just whiskey, Shocking. but gin producers and 85% of UK gin is produced in Scotland. So, yeah, again, Scotland through its spirit industry is going to be bank rolling and keeping the UK shaking afloat mm. and we get nothing in return. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we haven't picked up on in the budget was the kind of notion that childcare, for example, something that actually could have been a really innovative, really ground-based policy, it could have actually transformed things, is already underfunded. And the likelihood is that in consequential, Scotland will not be any better off in order to provide this kind of expansion yeah. of childcare, when, which when, is when you look for innovative. the positives, this was one of the things we're trying to pick out. For Absolutely, you. and and what we see is that the capacity isn't there, that the funding isn't there, <laughs> and the reality is we will be asking people who take care of the tiny little humans that we we love and care, in the childcare setting with less money, and that's the reality. But I think the other thing which I raised in my debate this morning as well was the fact that the government has done very little to support people off the grid or out with the yeah. kind of traditional, especially in rural communities like Larrakarilton East, the Highlands mm-hmm. and Islands, of which I know you both would care to highlight as well. But yeah, the government has failed to invest in the ways that we could have invested in clean, green, renewable energy and in a country that is rich in energy and oil and has the capacity to invest in renewable energy and other f- sectors, we find that the the money's going elsewhere and it just sends the message that yeah. people don't care. Nuclear, yeah. they, the nuclear yeah. industry. We're living yeah. in a cost of living crisis, but that's our priorities. Yeah. It just speaks volumes to this yeah. government's priorities. Yeah. Totally yeah. nuclear energy, uh, an absolute black hole. But you were very happy to say that Scotland got nothing out of the budget bin because, of course, <laughs> Donald Ross got repairs to some sort of bridge in the constituency. Well, well, that makes it all okay. Yeah. I take it all yeah. back. Yeah. I'm voting for it. I think there were a couple of things that were specifically to yeah. that constituency. Is that not be... the whole levelling yeah. up agenda? If you look at where yeah. all the money has gone, it's to predominantly conservative cons- I constituencies. I didn't realise that levelling up was actually an anagram of Pope Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that that's the case. So uh, uh, the um, the other big news of this week, and we're SNP MPs here, is that we've ended the leadership contest now. We've got a, a new for, new leader of the SNP and a new first minister. Minister, absolutely. And, and first up, congratulations to Hamza. Indeed, I, yeah. I, I wish him all the very best. And um, I, I saw the photographs last night for the first time of him and his family. In, in Butte House, and there, there's something really, really moving about seeing uh, a man from an ethnic minority with his family in essentially the most important house in Scotland, leading the country. And it was actually, I'm not an emotional person, but I, 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 th- I found those photographs quite, quite moving. 
It was really powerful. And I think the message that that sends on so many levels, I think of Humza as kind of a politician of my generation, of that kind of youth wing of the SNP who has come up through the parties, been an absolute grafter and he's worked incredibly hard and rightly. But that image last night was powerful. It was especially around the time of Ramadan, breaking fast with his family in Butte House. That's an incredible message. And what it tells people is from every background and from any background, you too can become the first minister of our country, whether you're a woman, whether you're Scots Asian. But it tell, it shows people that they're represented and that really matters. And that's where Scotland is different. Absolutely. Um, it sort of reminds me, there was a, a tweet when Theresa May first turned up at Butte House for a meeting and... Um, you know, Nicola tweeted about how putting aside the political differences, this sends a, a really powerful message to uh, women and girls across Scotland and the United Kingdom. And you can imagine, obviously, Hamza perhaps meeting Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and yeah. similar message. What does yeah. it say to people right across the country about what you can achieve? Uh, so, yeah, absolutely, really positive and, and uh, first leader uh, of any Western democracy. The irony is, I remember the press after that photo came out and it was a really powerful poll. Second female Prime Minister, first female First Minister, and what did they talk about? Their legs. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It speaks volumes. Yeah. Uh, yes, I remember the I remember the particular these people as well, but I was with a, a pal of mine last night. Uh she came, she was down in business and she went to, to Westminster and we were talking about Hamza and his election and her daughter, who's ten, when uh, Hamza was became first minister, she turned to her and said can a man be first minister? That's a great line. <laughs> it's it's a it, it is it is something that that speaks to the progressive nature of Scotland and uh, and I think and I, I think these signals are important. You know when you when you you just look at the the uh, as we've just been discussing the list that uh, Nicola Sturgeon being first minister has given to women and girls across Scotland, mm -hmm. and you've just mentioned the the fact that now people from ethnic backgrounds can uh, can you know see that you can get to that uh, seat power it's is fantastic. But there's another message there about the diversity, isn't there? Because we've been talking earlier about Mary Black doing her, her debut. Uh, Prime Minister's questions. We've been, uh, or previous weeks, we've been talking about Stephen mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, a, a taking over the reins as Westminster leader. And now we have uh, Hamza Yousaf taking over as the First Minister of Scotland. Now, they, they're, they're all have one other thing in common is that they're all relatively young. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this stale, kind of pale and middle aged uh, thing is, is not there in the, any of that. Uh, you know, and set up, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, I think there's concentrated around this table. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, excuse me, but it is the whole thing of you can't be what you can't see. And with, with our three respective leaders, both at Westminster and Holyrood, you have females, you have a more, a far more gender balanced cabinet than even the first minister. Um, you have more women than men elected what, in this what's cabinet. What's the balance of the new cabinet? Yeah, I think it's, it's just been announced. Six to four, yeah. Six to four. But yeah, it's definitely more women than men and that's progressive, but all of these messages are really important. It's important that we see women, that we see LGBT, that we see Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, and that it sends that progressive message that the SNP is a party mm -hmm. that represents all of Scotland and that from every background and from any background, you too can become yeah. part of politics. And being a young person in politics matters as well as a young person. All that true, was. but there always is a caveat at the end in that there are still massive racial disparities. Uh, we saw the, the Casey report, obviously, uh, published recently in relation to the Metropolitan Police, yeah. uh, and there's, there's 
yeah, we cannot pretend that there are not still lots of challenges to overcome. No. But uh, yeah, it's an important, important uh, signal, important message. But uh, we always have to acknowledge that there's a lot to do to. And there always will be. Yeah, and I, I think it's a really important point to make because you know we 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 still have to be uh, weary and, and be that we, we started off this conversation talking about the illegal immigration yeah. uh, bill and the way that people are being demonised in a culture war situation, and I think that that there is a responsibility to be the antidote to that. To, to say no, look, we're we're going to stand up, you know. And we've spoken about this before. Scotland is a place where people have, throughout the centuries, throughout our history, where people have come in and contributed to the mix uh, that we have as a nation. And and it is really important to remember that, uh, yeah. you know, and and to appreciate and value it and celebrate it. Yeah, uh, uh, indeed. And actually, you know, I'm very proud of. A political party, proud of our parliament as well, in that it shows that you, you can stand up for migrants' rights and minority rights um, without you know, suffering electoral backlashes. You don't have to take this approach, which is so often seems to be the case down here at Westminster, that people are, are scared to, to stand up for certain mm -hmm. causes like migrants' rights because they, they fear there's going to be some sort of newspaper backlash, tabloid backlash, and it, it will make you suffer electorally. Um, but no, rather than pandering to um, these arguments, you take them on and, and, and you can win. And, uh, you know, the uh, first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, was absolutely brilliant at that, and there's absolutely yeah. no doubt that arms will win. But I think it's called leadership. Exactly. And, and, I yeah. think, and, and leadership means being brave and being setting your face against that so let's call it the vested interests mm. and those who would seek to whip up division or those who tell you you can't it's it takes courage and i think nicola had it in spades i mean she was just yeah. so brave in so many things that she did and, and i hope that that has and i i expect that it has filtered down through her cabinet and that this cabinet that's coming up now and this first minister who's replacing her will have that bravery as well. And when Nicola Sturgeon printed or published her uh, tax return, we just had her salary mm -hmm. as first yeah. minister. I think it's uh, important to mention that. I think it speaks volumes. And I think well, you can see from the announcement of the cabinet today, Nicola Sturgeon's legacy as first minister and what that has done to our party and to a generation of the new government, that it is far more progressive. And sure, right, though, we shouldn't be complacent. And there, there was a period of time, I think quite recently, we can all admit, where it did expose some of the concerns that we have around backsliding and about the kind of denigration of rights. But it's also about respecting everyone's rights. Mm. We are an exceptionally broad church as a party and that's something we should also be proud of and we should celebrate as well. So we, we do need to acknowledge we'll have challenges and we'll have choices, but I hope that everyone will now unite around our new First Minister and leader of this part. And that's why um, it's important that we keep up the the fight to to realise independence for Scotland because, you know, it's a, a raising debt that, that we want to have the full powers so that we can have a more equal a fairer, more prosperous society for people. And we don't want to see these things that we never voted for, that we didn't want, imposed on people in Scotland and against their will, because regularly, repeatedly, um, you know, the, the public in Scotland don't vote for the policies that we are saddled with. Now. I mean, 
extraordinary stuff that the Conservative government is pushing through this now isn't just stuff that Scotland doesn't support. It's almost the antithesis of what the Scottish government is trying to achieve. On the one hand, you've got a government in Edinburgh that's trying to incorporate human rights, like the uh, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. On the other hand, you've got a government down here that's actually trying to escape the European Convention of Human Rights, essentially to avoid its obligations under the Refugee Convention and so on. So it's not just doing things that we're not particularly happy about, but it's the opposite of of the sort of country we want to try and create. Absolutely, yep. Absolutely right. And, and on that optimistic and upbeat note, some good Stuart. <laughs> remains for me to thank Stuart McDonald, MP, and Angela Crawley, MP, for being with us this week. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast again. You can find more episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot and look out for a special recess uh, version that we'll be bringing out shortly. Thanks again for listening. Thank you very much.